to rot. It's an articulate warbling. Hosted by Zach Ferguson. Edited and produced at Badgerstrift Studio. If you enjoyed this podcast, please contact us at pgttcm.com so we can make more. And here he is, Zach. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the second episode of It's Not a Rant, It's Articulate Warbling. Subtitle, You See Warbling, I See Articulate Warbling. Well, maybe I got that backwards. (laughs) No, I definitely got that backwards. You See Ranting, I See Articulate Warbling. It's Not a Rant, It's articulate warbling as of which i will be warbling on today about two pieces of art first of all i'll be talking about the east 177 trilogy by m night Shyamalan, which will be glass the final film in that trilogy i'm not going to go through all the way through unbreakable and split but i'll give some context and uh, background information but this is specifically about glass and then thereafter, I'll be reviewing H.A.P.P.Y. by Nicola Barker, a very unconventional and one of her most extraordinary pieces of fiction. And her first real truthful uh, leap and deep delve and submergence into experimental fiction. But let me start with Glass. Now, Glass is a sequel to Split, whilst also working as a sequel to Unbreakable. Unbreakable was released... After The Sixth Sense, uh, The Sixth Sense wasn't M. Night Shyamalan's debut film, but it was one that really made him notorious, and his follow-up to The Sixth Sense is great success, you know, the, 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 the uproarious appraisal from critics. He released Unbreakable, and it, on a budget of $75 million, it didn't get any money back, people couldn't really quite pinpoint what it was, and those who did engage with it absolutely loved it, and still uphold it as one of Shyamalan's best movies. Now, I didn't see Unbreakable when I saw Split, so when the end came along, I had a vague recognition of, oh, Will Smith worked with him in the past, Uh, I highly doubt it's Sixth Sense, because I saw Sixth Sense, and I pieced it together, but then when I watched Unbreakable, it just kind of, the the, the ingenuity of it has all come together. Now, a lot of people can argue the point that this wasn't an intended trilogy, it was just M. Night Shyamalan using and taking advantage of this original idea that was split, and then going, maybe I can conform and get uh, get the biggest, most audacious twist out of it, whilst also really honing in on something nostalgic and something that people might really want right now, a superhero movie unlike any other superhero movie, and Unbreakable was very unique for its time, if you take into context where it was coming from, it subverted a lot of what people would anticipate from a superhero film, especially back then when they weren't as popular, or as watched, or as <laughs> critically acclaimed, or lauded and plaudited as they are now, and then Split was just a great horror, following up from The Visit, which was uh, a supposed welcome return to M. Night Shyamalan, mm, I don't agree, but I'm happy that film was made, so he could start making low-budget films with Blumhouse, so he, you know, has room to start creating again of the calibre that we all know he has in him. I absolutely love M. Night Shyamalan. I even love some of his movies that people detest. But his big Hollywood blockbusters do not work. They do not work. There's a smugness. There's an attitude problem. They just do not work. So when Split came around, it was a very contained 
story. And then with that big bombshell at the end, it's not so contained. It is part of the East uh, 177 Railway. I think I've got that right. To make life easier and simpler, I'm just going to refer to it as the Unbreakable Trilogy. So through the success, financial and critically, from Split came Glass, the final piece, the follow-up to the film that not any any old person really wanted or wanted to engage with. But Glass has come along and as time has settled upon it, people do not like it. Now, here's the reasons I like it. A lot of points can be argued, but I'm just going to give you the gist and the summation of my my appreciation. I feel it's a postmodernist superhero film with all of the artistry that you really only find in an M. Night Shyamalan film and something you'd expect from him. And working on such a rarefied level of psychologically and the evaluations that it's almost it is the freshest film of this type of caliber unlike anything you have ever come to expect especially within this almost uh gentrified way of expectation when it comes to superhero films it's really pushing the boundaries again and i can see where the polarization will come from but i really have to appeal to all of you re-watch it because what i got from this first viewing it, it felt like enough so please try again and let it wash over you, submerge yourself, approach it from alternate angles. I've watched it multiple times and even on the fifth viewing I was like, there's a lot of negative about this. But the initial wash hasn't faded because it is a very strong film. As there's no doubt that this is the final and most fitting piece to what M. Night started 19 years ago. But then again, that is up for debate. I feel this movie is a very harrowing experience and there's no... Debate, it is masterfully executed, it's very to the minutiae that M. Night Shyamalan is, almost on Hitchcockian levels of perfection, it's thriller, but then there's that subversion, and it's almost postmodernist, and it's almost progressive in its attitudes, it's overall affecting, and it's the two halves of the previous two episodes in the trilogy put together, the, the the first half of the unbreakable and then of course the inclusion of james mcavoy's character from split but it's not just that it's tonally but this has more in common tonally with unbreakable than a lot of people have given it credit to and i think that's why people have issues unbreakable is a slow slow meditative film split is almost a edgy almost alter new young indie director back on the scene proving a point really <clears throat> Not pulling any punches. And I think a lot of people misguidedly and through experience say, oh, it's in tone, it's similar to Split. It's not, because I believe that your issue with the tone and the cadence and the aesthetic and the overall management is more in tune with Unbreakable, which comes from a completely different avenue of filmmaking and era and an almost quarantine segregated era of attitudes towards superheroes the connotations the mythology the social repercussions the interspersed spliced diced mixed up into Shyamalan was doing something so progressive even back then but now the connotations are so far fucking greater because of the melange of superhero content superhero based films and I think that this film is very thoughtful raw it's gorgeously visualised. The cinematography is just wondrous. The juxtapositioning of the purples, the subliminal messages, the juxtapositions of everything. And the emblem of a type of film that mainstream audiences don't get to participate or 
experience in, usually. It's an extremely meditative personal film, and its final twist and conclusion may have you bristling. But trust the film and trust Shyamalan. Watch it. Appreciate it. Let it mellow. Samuel L. Jackson gives an amazing performance. A lot of people don't realise that his screen time is validated in its shortness and the same with Willis but not much can be said about Willis because we all know he's notorious for doing very few days for a lot of money but it just seems to work this story isn't just about these singular characters it's not about big up in stakes it's about subverting expectations expectations imposed upon self based upon current cinematic tropes stereotypes and methodologies and ideologies and the uh, ephemeral uh, experiences garnered from the type of films we experience. I think that this film is nothing short of a masterpiece and it is five out of five stars for me and I cannot highly recommend it enough. Hey everyone, welcome back. Uh, this is me, D.B. Spitzer, the editor and producer of just wanted to let you know that we're hoping to make this a full-time series and not just a backdoor pilot. So if you would like to help sponsor the show, or if you have anything that you'd be like wanting to donate to help the show keep going, let us know. PGTTCM.com and where you can reach Zach is in the show notes and also where you can buy his many books. Zach Ferguson, and you can check him out, of course, on Amazon.com, where he's got all kinds of wonderful books from Dimension Horse to What Mr. Wants, Mr. Gets. All right, back to Zach. What I shall be reviewing next is H-A-P-P-Y, or Happy, by Nicola Barker. Now, Nicola Barker is a British novelist, and she has written a variant of what a lot of people have labelled as unconventional fiction. And throughout her pretty long career so far... She has been experimenting, and you can see the usual experimental um, watermarks, experimenting with prose, uh, typography, structure, formatting. But H-A-P-P-Y, or Happy, really goes for it, and it, it truly, honestly, it's a personal story for Nicola Barker. You can tell it's a discovery, something that has been subliminally almost subconsciously plaguing her works throughout. And there's a consistency of unpredictability with her works. She has this almost monotonous, repetitive nature to overtly describe that pathos becomes bathos, but it's done in such a honest, truthful, defined, humanistic and relatable way that it's just a almost metaphysical commentary and message in and of itself. She really gets into the mentalities and mind frames and current situations and personal facades and interludes and charades and it's a real delicate balancing act. She takes things such as a David Blaine event where he had himself locked in a glass cube elevated above in London for what must have been 30 or 40 days. And she creates things from concurrent places of media. Her stuff is so modern in its evaluations, its deconstructions, 
and its bravery to tackle content. Say what people think deep down, burrowed. She makes examples of these unconventional thoughts. It's almost as if she takes these intrusive thoughts and runs with them. And she makes an art form out of these intrusive thoughts, out of these rhetorics, out of these banal situations or situations that could arise. She really takes living, the mundanity of life, but really exemplifies it and personifies it through the audacious structures of what is going in and around. And she's very inherently British. And I absolutely adore her. Uh, She has a wondrous amount of works out there. But the ones that I'd recommend is Reversed Forecast, Love Your Enemies, Small Holdings, Five Miles from Outer Hope, Clear, the one centred on David Blaine and all the characters and their own social, economic relationships and personal views upon that such a huge, big, media-constructed event about personal interlude personal perspectives she is just ingenious the way she takes the most mundane of scenarios or the most unconventional beats and builds just builds character and perspective but h-a-p-p-y or happy which was the winner of the goldsmith's prize is her battling with the form of writing a novel what it means to create what it means to convey what does the form of writing truly represent. And I'm going to read the blurb for you. Imagine a perfect world where everything is known, where everything is open, where there can be no doubt, no hatred, no poverty, no greed. Imagine a system which both nurtures and protects, a community which nourishes and sustains, an infinite world, a world without sickness, without death, a world without God, a world without fear. Could you... Might you be happy there? H-A-P-P-Y is a post-post-apocalyptic Alice in Wonderland. A story which tells itself and then consumes itself. It's a place where language glows, where words buzz and sparkle and finally implode. It's a novel which twists and ribs with all the terrifying precision of a tiny fish in a Isha lithograph. A book where the mere telling of a story is the end of certainty. It is another imaginative tour de force from one of our most audacious and ambitious novelists a writer the guardian declares a genius now i cannot disagree with this h-a-p-p-y does things that has much in relation to the author mark z danielewski such as his release of house of leaves oh except i think mark danielewski has a tendency to make the aesthetic the pinnacle the formation and artistry of constructing words, tearing into the nature of literature, which I, as an experimental writer and novelist, and have done numerous times with my works, most definitely with What Mr. Wants Mr. Gets, and Eat Your Keyboard, which is no longer available, sadly, but will be released later next year as a huge compendium collecting the trilogy. And my writing has been heavily inspired by Nicola Barker, because it's infused by character, by the unconventionalities, about what makes us humans, what we are, what really defines us. And this is a perfection of her. Though this story plays, and I mean plays, brutalises word, it is more than metafiction. As the story goes on, there's contemplation, there's interlude. 
Her follow-up from H-A-P-P-Y, I Am Sovereign, is a direct metaphysical book that is almost born from her experience. And almost a self-inflicted rarity that has made her change her opinion and view and perspective on literature. To be redefined and almost deformed, and uh, I Am Sovereign kind of is a backlash to what she's created for herself, this contradictory relationship with what literature means to her. And she's very open and honest about this in Iron Sovereign. But this, that novel, I Am Sovereign, comes from what she's done with Happy, H-A-P-P-Y. It's a book that really slowly de-evolves. It falls into itself. It implodes. But it's masterful in the way that it's always centred on character. It's driven on perspective. It's driven by scenarios. It is driven by a sci-fi futuristic thing it takes the ludicrous and the unconventional the most repetitious the most smallest of details and she extrapolates it and makes it a pinnacle there's a lot of things about guitar strings in here that could be overall a dense message or it could just be something that she's taken upon and then imbued it with something but there's such purpose and intent with her writing there is a ferociousness there is a rawness there is also a reflectiveness and this story takes its main character who's struggling within this system where everything is moderated it's almost cultish a whole benign level international mainstream level where this cultish mentality this right-like sensibility for the digitized age where you're moderated mediated overseen told how to behave it is taking something about current circumstances current social climbs overall being affected in the real physical world by what is going on online the viciousness the rhetoric the violence the ignorance and she takes it and she makes it manifold and manifested in physical bearings and manifestations of reality it's digitized made real it is a truly sensational piece of writing it takes formation but it plays with colour and it falls into the methodology and the powers where in a traditional novel if the system that's overlooking you there's great brush detail of highlights or descripts of this word is highlighted here this will shine red if you uh, use this word no it's all visually represented in the book certain words are highlighted with amber red green dependent upon what severity of this word and its meaning its connotation means to the person in question the severity of if it goes against the system and the way of thinking and the way of thought and the way of application it's about reactions based upon actions actions reactions actions reactions it's a submergence of a real strong driven science fiction post post apocalyptic novel it's beyond progressive and it does things with the format and the form where it it wholly personifies its interweavery of narrative it's telling you on a visual level just by color just by self-referentialisms that's not a word but i've just created it it's awesome there's this this fixation upon this this piece of uh instrument the cora and that it it, it's pivotalness to her to create but she's not within this conformity of creating the novel takes a very personal uh, the thing is it's not factored upon an unreliable narrator. It's an unreliable universe. 
best captured through its formation, its format, its font. It is a, almost a visual guide to the story. There is so much going on, the tiers, the layers. It is so all-consuming that no wonder the placement of fiction and what it means and its formation and its meaning and its intent has plagued Nicola Barker to such an extent it's ruined her relationship with art. Whilst the outsider and the reader and the viewer of this visual display, I love authors and creators like myself who turn text into visual forms of artistry that personify something that you want to be heavily felt or you want something to sub subconsciously creep in and tendril its way out like sepsis like a blood poisoning she is in a predicament now where she feels that she can only create this form of artistry and then from the outside you you can understand this but there's a there's almost distance where you go but it works in what you're doing and the deconstruct and it's overall more purposeful and honest by you doing this and also by being self-referential and honest and candid I believe that though the nature of fiction for her will be rediscovered because still within here it's not all about the aesthetics and the gimmicks of what experimental writers are accused of I think there's this great miscon misconception that it's lazy writing no there is more depth and more thought and more almost convulsive seizure inducing uh, self-inflicted self-well self hate based upon what you want to do and define through your experimentation and through your need and accessibility to play with expected or unexpected tropes to formulate a piece of art and she's come to a place where she can't see that her characters are still very focal and key her characters the unconventionality the phantasmagorical mundanity of all of it she makes the most mundane of things the most repetitious of human psyches and thoughts and actions and comings and goings and abouts and she personifies them so much that they're truthful and they're honest and it's something that you don't see and I truly am beholden to Nicola Barker the conception of the the way that books are written the art form itself it has altered my perspective myself it has inspired me I've not got myself in a place like Nicola Barker where I've alienated myself to what fiction means but I think she needs to focus in on herself a little bit more and pull herself out of that you know easily uh, four-walled blockade of I don't know where I can go I don't know if I can write a piece of fiction from here on that isn't almost a puzzle piece you can because the focal point is the universe and the characters the universe of this is personified through its playing of typography and format and structural prismatas and the spherical shape and the shattered glass and the re-combustion and the whole re-transmogrification of everything but character is key and the universe is personified through her experimental playings of prose and structure and typography and her visual semblances of using words in a particular way. This story can easily also be viewed as a science fiction meta-commentary on the world of the digital age and also the extremities of how far it can go, also of an oppressed society, not just in select avenues but worldwide. It is a purely digitized, social, political hilarious satire whilst working as a character drama this character is fighting against a great old system that wants to eat at her and they do not want any creative thought any form of individuality and this highlights so much that is going on within society and so much that is plaguing corrupting our day-to-day -day lives this book is nothing short of phenomenal i have read it four times now and each time i come away with something different and Nicola Barker is a unique 
powerful voice. Also, she's female, but she doesn't play the feminism thing up to a muck point. She's not a dial that she turns off. It's just honest and truthful to who she is as a human and her experiences. There's no agenda. There's no forced perspective. There's nothing disingenuous about the points she's making. She's not flag-waving. She's not wanting to be seen part of the system or a subsystem, or a sub-avenue, or a sub-community. She is making her overall point. This is all invalid. All of these archies are imagined. It is an imagined hierarchy and system that needs to be blown out of proportion by creativity, experimentation, and truth of self. And that is why H-A-P-P-Y is probably one of the most beautifully written books I have ever read. Probably my favourite novel that I have ever read in my short lifetime. And I am going to give this 500 stars out of 5. I recommend anyone who's into experimental fiction, and even if not, you want to try something different, please seek out Nicola Barker's work. So, I wish to thank you for listening to me warbling on. (coughs) Not ranting, (coughs) not ranting. And I wish to thank D.B. Spitzer once again for producing this putting this together and hopefully the next episode i'll have something a little bit different to talk about instead of the uproarish positivity and warbling how about the real validity behind a rant and a rave i might be warbling articulately next week about a film i dislike and a book i dislike i haven't decided upon it yet so give me a little bit of time to think about it but by the time this comes out it would already been recorded and already decided upon. But I wish to thank all of you who've listened to this so far. Your support means so much to me. And if you like what I have to talk about or what I do, I'm also a writer. I have books available on Amazon. I'm on Instagram. Uh, also, just reach out as well if you want to talk about books, if you want to talk about films. Uh, if you're an experimental artist yourself, please reach out because I want to get a medley of experimental artists involved in this big bumper 1000 page book that I'm crafting called The System Compendium. I've got visual arts, fake advertisements in there, loads of pieces that don't come from a world and I don't want a specified thing. But I just wanted to take this time to say please follow me, support this podcast and all podcasts related, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos and Clockwork Tales. And if I got that name wrong, sorry, D.B. Spitzer, I'm just following in the same vein as yourself now, getting names wrong. And uh, I do apologise if uh, I was far too fast. You can slow it down on all good uh, manageable iPhones. And uh, thank you so much. Click that subscribe button. Get hold of me. Get in touch. I'd love to hear what you have to say. And I'll see you next time. It's not a rant. It's... Articulate Warbling with Zach Ferguson, written by Zach Ferguson, produced and edited by D.B. Spitzer, recorded at Badger's Drip Studios in glorious Portland, Oregon. Zach's part is, of course, recorded in Brighton, England. Want to help the show? Go to pgttcm.com. Check out what we've got. Go to Zach's shop in, in the show notes. Go to Zach's Instagram in the show notes. Find out how to help him out. And of course, Ashton Manor, Darkest Child by Kevin McLeod. So thank you so much and join us next time.